I was taught um, to ask yourself some pretty big questions, and that is, what do you think about all the time? What would you do if money were no issue? Um, what do you daydream about or dream about at night? Those are the biggest questions. And for me, it was what kept coming up was surfing and acting, surfing and film. Um, so I decided to live a life in alignment with that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dan Brophy, and this is Quit Your Day Job, a podcast for frustrated creatives. How do you turn what you love into what you do? Well, each episode, I'll be talking to some of my favorite creatives to discuss the tools and tricks associated with monetizing your passion, to turn it into a career, or to bring it to life in tandem with your nine to five. Here at Quit Your Day Job, we believe that the pursuit of what you love is just a process and one that is available to anyone. So what are you waiting for? Your journey to feeling more connected to who you are and what you do My guest today is journalist, author, and documentary filmmaker, Kale Brock. Kale cut his teeth in the media landscape as a teenage presenter on the TV series Totally Wild, aka My Childhood Dream Job. This year has seen Kale tour the country to promote his feature-length documentary, The Gut Movie, a cinematic and widely accessible investigation into how our gut health can influence everything from our immunity to even our happiness. Kale is my favorite kind of creative. He is a renaissance man with a can-do attitude, researching, writing, presenting, and shooting content that has filled two published books and counting, as well as a steady stream of short film, podcast, blog, and blog content that has filled his channels to the point that he has carved out a niche as a distinct voice in the gut health space, which is one of the fastest growing areas of health and wellness. If quit your day job is a philosophy, then Kale is living it. The perfect example of what happens when you marry what you love with what you're good at with the change that you want to see in the world. As in my own story, it was an ill-fitting corporate job that gave him the dark night of the soul, which encouraged his first great leap towards quitting his day job and moving towards a lifestyle in which he could define his own hours, work on his own terms, establish a passive income stream, and most importantly, create work that he believes in. Before we get down to the business of being a creative, if you enjoyed the podcast, please do what you can to share the love. You can write us a review and rate us on iTunes. You can share a link for an episode that you've really enjoyed via text message to your mum. Or, and this is the most effective, screen capture the point in the episode that you're listening to and are inspired by and post it to your Facebook or Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag me at Dan Brophy so that I can repost it on my own channels. It would be really great to find out what you're vibing off, what you're inspired by, so that I can give you more of the same. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss one game-changing trick. And now please enjoy my chat. There is so much gold to take away from my conversation with journalist, author, documentary filmmaker, Kale Brock. So, Kale Brock, when well, tell me when people say to you, "What do you do?" Yes. What do you tell them? Uh, it depends on the context. 
if I'm heading into another country and I'm obliged to tell the truth, I tend to blur the lines a little bit and just say something like producer or something safe. Uh, because when I was younger and I did a lot of traveling, uh, and I still do a lot of traveling, but when I was younger, I went to places like India, Sri Lanka, Nepal, where heading into the country is always a little bit, you're always a little bit edgy walking through customs because it's completely different, you know, and, the, and nobody's smiling. <laughs> so when I wrote Reporter once, because I had finished at Channel 10 and I'd just gone on a four month sojourn to Southeast Asia, I wrote Reporter. I got pulled up in Kashmir and they were like, why are you here? What are you doing here? So I changed it from that to writer and sort of encountered a couple of the same issues and then it ended up just sort of scratching it and putting producer or, or content or whatever, something vague enough to be able to slide through the system without <laughs> attracting attention. But if it's at a party, I say I'm a filmmaker. Okay, okay, me too. That's my, that's yeah. my go-to. Yeah. And in general, I elaborate by, if someone knows what's up, I'll say, I have a small digital content agency and I make content for advertising purposes. And then I feel like it's a lot less exciting than if I say I'm, an, I'm a narrative <laughs> filmmaker. But so now what does, I mean, I, I'm- Is that where you want to be? Can I ask? It's a great question. I, at the moment I feel, cause, and I, this come up in the podcast before, mm. when I left film school, all I wanted to do was make narrative. Yeah. And I think where I'm at right now is I want to make, I've always wanted to make work that has my philosophy or propaganda baked into it <laughs> and if I were to be making work as a feature filmmaker or, or maybe even a uh, TV filmmaker mm. and telling Australian stories I don't even know if they would be they would get very far in terms of you know say for example you made a feature film in Australia would anyone go and see it these days you know and you could definitely there is definitely people telling great work in the TV space and I've got good friends who do beautiful work in that space but for me what really matters is people experiencing the work yeah. and in order for that to be the and, and for them to understand the ideas that I want to share with the world and I think the most efficient way to share ideas with the world is in the content space mm. now and I think yeah. you've got this ready-made audience that's just hungry that you can present something that hopefully is palatable that yeah. has you know, you know a delicious life-changing inspirational <laughs> message at its core yeah. and um, if I were to I would love to do narrative but for the time being I just love the idea of lifestyle because mm. I consume so much of it I definitely think you are what you eat creatively in terms of everything that you consume really fuels the, what you end up putting out. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I love lifestyle because it, it's such an effective way to get people to change how they live their lives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's what brought you and I together. I mean, you know, these days when someone says to you, what do you do, you know, how does 2017, 2018 look for you creatively compared to, you know, mm. previously? The past. So the past I was at Network 10, I was at Totally Wild. Uh, before that, <laughs> I'm trying to work out how far back to go. Let's well, just go back. I mean, like, I love the idea that you're Totally Wild, that was a mm. teenage, late teens job. Yeah, late teens job. What, what made you ready for that? So I was, there's a moment, there's a moment, there's a cool story. So I was 16, I was competing in a surf competition, but sort of uh, going, oh, you know, I was quite realistic in the way that I was never going to be a professional surfer. Growing up in Adelaide, it's almost impossible to become a professional surfer because there's not enough waves and there's not enough competition. Um, well, there's, you know, there's enough competition, but there's not a hotbed of talent. And I looked at the guy who was managing the event 
I looked across and it was this after party, I think, actually, of this uh, surfing competition. And I was like, I should go ask him if I can write for Surfing SA because I'd always been really interested in English. I was always like skipping year levels with English. So I was, that was my thing. I was going to be a writer or a journalist or whatever. And I went up to him and I said, look, I'm really interested in doing this. And he's like, yeah, let's do it for sure. Can you write a thing on this weekend? So we like started writing in that space. And then all of a sudden I started getting commentary jobs and they received a big uh, influx of funding at that same time. So it was really, really uh, coincidental and beneficial so they were able to launch these projects like online podcasts like sort of like this where my best friend my still best friend and i were on the same show and we would like be like what's up guys today we're gonna jump over streaky bay we've got all this surfing footage check it out like we were practicing cool literally what became my entire job and that was 10 years ago that was 10 years ago so i just turned 27 i was 16 17 at the time okay so what was tech so in 2008 okay that makes just to get context around where yeah you know people people youtube launched in 2005 mm. so the vlogosphere really existed early. but that yeah. was very that was literally two years after youtube mm. was registered as a business yeah it was huge and i look back now and i'm like wow those guys were pioneers but it didn't really catch on in a huge way, the surfing thing. And it was so funny. We used to get trolls and everything. <laughs> like, it was classic. Because that was all who was, on, that's who was online at exactly. that time. Exactly. It was like boffins and trolls, <laughs> yeah. basically. So it was just this like, really fun boot campy style of experience. And that gave me a body of content upon which Network 10 based their uh, evaluation of me, I guess. And I had finished school. I did really well at school. I was the ducks of my school. I got into the university that I wanted to, but I was like, nah, I'm going to take some time off and go surfing. Like I jumped, jumped in my van and spent the year driving up the East Coast and lived in Byron Bay at the end. Great. Living the dream. Yeah, yeah. It was like living the dream. No money whatsoever. No social media. Like it was great. And then got the call from Surfing South Australia. I'm like, hey, do you want to come back and audition for this thing? I was like, sure, I'm done. I'll come back to Adelaide. And did the audition, got the role, and that sort of led me through another really intense boot camp of, of filmmaking, really, of, of vlogging with budget, <laughs> essentially, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. And so, because uh, for those that don't know, because we do have some international listeners, Totally Wild is, um, <laughs> it's such a great name, it's a TV show that's been around for probably 20 years, yeah. it's a wildlife focused well, it's more than that now. Okay. Yeah, so it's a family and children-based show, but it's it's wildlife, it's adventure, it's interesting people as well. Great. So they sort of expanded because they could only do so many stories on pigs. <laughs> Koalas. <laughs> yeah. And so the, um, you know, how many journalists, it's sort of, you know, younger journalists and there's some older ones and you yeah. were one of the teenage presenters yeah. mm -hmm. and you're pre were you pretty autonomous with, did you get to choose, for example, what you reported on? We had production meetings every month or so where we had a producer and we had the reporters and that was kind of it. And then people would sort of submit their ideas like, hey, this is it, give it to the producer. The producer would chase them up, lock them in. And then it was our job to call the talent, whoever we had, um, background the story, write the script, go out and produce the script. So, you know, ticking off all the, the shot list and getting the camera operators to get the right shots and all these different things to choosing the order in which we're going to do things. Coming back, we would do the rough edit as well, send it off to be polished by the editors in Brisbane, and then they would bring it together for this one central show. 
Fantastic. And what a great, as a teenager, especially just to see the inner workings of a machine yeah. like that. Huge. Were you um, disillusioned by how, you know, transactional that space was, having enjoyed it, having enjoyed content as a consumer? Mm. Then once you peer behind the curtain, sometimes it can be heartbreaking as a young person yeah. to realize how things really work. Yeah. Yes and no. I wasn't ready for full-time work I'd, um, and I'm still not. So that's <laughs> persisted. I hated the idea of of having to sit um, and, and do work based on time, not on productivity. And, you know, I used to go in and finish my work in four to six hours and then just sit there for two hours going, yeah, what next? Because they're paying you for your time, so the expectation is, well, you should be researching or you yeah, should yeah, be... Yeah, or whatever. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's children's television. You, there's only... And they wouldn't even let us bend the creative boundaries that much to warrant sitting down and researching a new idea or anything. So there are a few things that I sort of achieved there, like I achieved much more of a documentary fly in the wall style storytelling style, sorry. Um, and that sort of caught on and they went with that, which I was really happy with. And I got to do a bunch of surfing stories, which were really awesome. Got to go to really cool places like the Snowy Mountains and Kangaroo Island and a few other really cool places. And it was good because I saw the value in industry training as opposed to tertiary training. Because we used to have university students coming with us for work experience or whatever, and they had no idea what they were doing. You know, and I just thought, how lucky am I to like get this job and not have to go to uni? You know, I still haven't gone to uni, and I'm just so grateful for that. But you know, after a little while, I felt like I was like, yep, sweet, I've got it, I'm down. And I was writing stories in a very simple way and was probably just copying out a little bit with, with my storytelling. And then I sort of ran into a bit of a situation where um, one of the producers who stepped in for a while to cover someone said, no, I think you could do a better job than this. And I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then um, after listening to her, she, she was able to teach me a huge point in my career just to find flow within a story which I had not been doing properly. And what does that mean? Because I, you, you know when you're on the receiving end of it and yeah. you know when you get to experience a, a well-told story in, in that space or in any space, what did you learn about good flow within journalism? I think it was being really conscious of the visuals when you're writing and how things are going to transition between a piece to camera and a VO and using that, those opening and closing images of your story to mirror one another and find a smooth arc in between. And, you know, to try and make that tangible, the, the story that actually changed everything, I was doing a story on the history of the MFS, which is the Metropolitan Fire Service. So fire, firefighters, right? But I did, I wrote the most boring script for it. It was like, this is what they've been doing. The history is this, blah, 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 blah. I was like, you know, get the story done, whatever. And she said, no, they're firefighters. She's like, make it cool. She's like, open the story with them racing out the station with the sirens blaring. You're in the car with them, like, and they're off to a fire. And then get them doing all their crazy safety drills with all the fire going everywhere and smoke everywhere and then go back to the history. You know, so it was just that sort of those different mindsets yeah. of go deep, you know, allow time. And raise the stakes, raise have a hook. Raise the stakes, yeah, yeah. Now, like an emotional <laughs> narrative hook. Yeah. Like mm. all that stuff. That, and from then on, it really changed. I fell in love with the job again for probably a good year. Good on her. Yeah. Oh, and also so it's great. a real testament to um, whoever the old mate was who happened to be away that time, <laughs> how people can just start dialing in their job so that yeah. they don't challenge 
mm. young people in the space to tell better stories or to do good work. Yeah. Because they just need to do the bare minimum to kind yeah, of get by. Totally. And so now, you know, even just to skip over that sort of five years mm. between leaving Totally Wild and, and where we find you now, this period is really defined by you stepping into uh, your role as a, a researcher, journalist, documentary filmmaker, but really focused on gut health. Mm. And that's how you and I ended up working together because yeah. we were making a, we made a documentary series for Neutral Life. So why gut health and why now? And yeah. what was it about that subject that made you decide to, you know, make, it, make a feature-length documentary about yeah. it? I think this also goes back to my teens. I had a heart condition when I was 16 called supraventricular tachycardia, SVT. I so I went to school with her. <laughs> yeah, Greek girl. <laughs> Mm. That's a good one. No one's led with that. That's oh. a really good one. Um, so I would experience arrhythmias to the point where I'd almost faint. And this would often happen whilst I was surfing. So I had to go to the cardiologist and he would, the only option they could give me was an ablation. So they wanted to come up through the groin or my armpit, enter the heart and burn away a piece of the heart with like a little soldering iron thing. Mm. And they wanted to burn away the sinoatrial node and that's the part that was malfunctioning. And immediately I was like, a 16 year old shouldn't be having heart surgery. This is ridiculous. I said, is there anything else we can do? What about nutrition? He was like, no, it's got nothing to do with it. I said, well, it's just not working. Why do we want to destroy it if it's not working? Can't we fix it in some way? I love it, you doctor, Dr. Ducks. <laughs> now, doctor, I'm actually ducks of my school and, <laughs> and I've done some research. I did do some research. That's, it led me down that path of going, hang on, no, this is illogical. And much of, and you know, I'm very comfortable saying this now, much of Western medicine is quite illogical when you break it down. Um, and you know, I've, I've chatted with, with doctors and professors and surgeons who are also saying this and they're in the field. I remember interviewing a guy from Sydney actually who was talking about the preposterous amount of unnecessary surgeries that, that get done here um, in Australia and, and in Sydney. Anyway, that, that's sort of where it all sparked and I went down a different route and ended up working with a naturopath who was able to teach me in a sh super short amount of time. She was a naturopath of 30 years then, almost 40 years now. And she was able to teach me some really basic health principles, which really turned things around. And as a journalist, who's someone who became a journalist, I had or I kept those health inclinations and kept those health habits. So I was always doing research. And even in Totally Wild, I managed to squeeze in some health stories here and there on gardening or, or you, know, you know, making green smoothies or interviewing famous health people or whatever. Uh, and we were able to sort of, I was able to follow that path. And then naturally now, if you are in the health space, and this was pretty early on, but if you are in the health space, you will hear about gut bacteria and gut health. And this was sort of early days, and this was when they were just sort of talking about the gut-brain connection and talking about um, the immune system and the neurological system. How many years ago? This was probably five or six okay. years ago. Yeah, or oh, even seven years ago. It was pretty early. And so I just kept researching and came up with, you know, a book and then that turned into a, a presentation and was doing tours with pre presenting and stuff, working with naturopaths or, or whatever, teaming up with people and doing podcasting, facilitating people to share their experience or share their stories um, and knowledge. And then it was like, okay, what, what next? And my love of video and filmmaking and storytelling never went away. I thought this is the next step. 
I've got to raise some money somehow and then make this film. So did the book make sense because it was the most effective way to present that information? But having, or having come from a TV presenting background, were you thinking, oh, maybe I can present that information videographically? Was that ever an option? No, I don't know. I had sort of ideas that I was going to go into health coaching and just speaking and, and becoming a nutritionist or whatever, going to uni or whatever. But then that quickly... <laughs> I realised that I wasn't the person to do one-on-one -on -one health coaching day in, day out. It just I couldn't do it uh, because I just felt like I wasn't having a big impact that I, I wanted. So what I started doing already at that point, I was writing health plans for people and I was going, this is sort of the same info with a little bit of difference. This is the same info. I'm like, why don't I just write a book? Mm -hmm. So originally I wrote the first copy of the first uh, version of the gut healing protocol for... 300 people you know it was like that's who it was for so there were spelling errors in it and you know things that just shouldn't be in a professional book but then it started taking off and I started being asked to come and do these big presentations to a thousand people you know and it was kind of going oh this is this is getting a little bit serious and how, how old were you when you were asked to do that 23 amazing yeah and so then the publishing of the book even though it was a, a small audience mm -hmm. in your mind was that around the t same time yeah, I'd say 23, 24. It's pretty great to be able to be a touring author <laughs> yeah. on an area that's science-based, mm. um, having come to that place through necessity, but ultimately, you know, you, that was very self-made. Self yeah. yeah, and I could have, I came up against some opposition in that people were, before they saw me, would say, what are his qualifications and stuff like that, which is really natural. But the way I was telling it was much more story-based and much more, hey guys, this is what this team of researchers is doing, this is what this expert is doing and stuff like that. It was never me sort of inventing things. And or things. Prof having professed to have studied it yourself. No, and, no. Mm. And I, I almost was at a point where I wanted to go and do nutrition or something and, and get a nutritionist degree just to stand in that space. But I realised that long term that was not going to be where I wanted to be. It's a really interesting concept that I think a lot of people are grapple with is, especially in this space now that we live in where it's evolving so fast and the idea of how you can contribute to a landscape is ever changing because the landscape is ever changing. Mm. Who even could imagine what an influencer was five years ago? <laughs> and so the idea of, you know, sharing ideas through vlogs or through, you know, all the new plat platforms that exist for the sharing of information. But generally, in order to get to a place where you find your platform, you have to then try a few different things on. Like, oh, yeah. maybe I do want to try um, yeah. consult one-on-one -on -one yeah. in the nutrition space. And either you give it a go and work out whether it's for you or not, or you uh, sit with the idea long enough to realize that, that that's not how you want to design your life. Mm. I think designing a life is a big way to work out how you want to so do your thing. Yeah. What was it that allowed you to realize that consulting one-on-one -on -one wasn't for you and then what did you come to the conclusion of journalism and documentary making off the back of that? Yeah, I still, from the, from the ages, from my teens, I'd wanted to be an actor and, and be in, in film and I was obsessed with movies still am obsessed with movies they have such a big impact on me and your documentary is beautiful thank you like there are some see there are shots in there that are so cinematic yeah that we've been for for the uh, lifestyle series that, that you and i have made together yeah we've been cutting in shots from your documentary into the oh, piece to camera and it's like these beautiful very auteur <laughs> cinema moments that yeah. just are 
you know, they're worth, there's some images in there that are worth framing. They're mm-hmm. really, you know, you find a way to put such an interesting frame around things, which I think is great. And I, it's a real testament as well, I think, to how in this day and age, you have to be a lot of things in order to stand out. Totally. You have to be a, yeah. a, have a, think like a cinematographer, yeah. work like a director, be as shrewd as a producer, <laughs> have the, the storytelling integrity of the journalist, yeah. but then at the same time have your foot in the research space. Yeah. And that's the only way you can actually contribute. Totally, yeah. And that was probably one of the biggest things with the film. It was like, yeah, people have told gut health stories before, but no one's done it in a truly cinematic and joyful experience. I wanted the movie to be funny. I wanted it to be comprehensive. I wanted it to not bore people. That was something that I was like constantly worried about to the point where we probably made the first versions of the film too short because it was like, no, let's cut there. Let's move on. Um, Fast games are good games. Yeah. Let's, let's go. <laughs> yeah, keep it going. But that's always been my, my um, outline. My plan has always been to start and still have a toe in the door of the health space because it's such a big part of my life and I consider health not just gut health, it's how we think, how we move, it's everything. So those principles I live by will always be something that I'll share but I do want to move into more narrative-based films. Was that work that you had to do within yourself to put yourself in a mindset that allowed you to not fear being being too ego-driven? I just had to get over myself. And be like, well, if you're not going to tell a story, someone else is going to tell it. And then how are you going to feel? <laughs> yeah, that I, was it. Yeah, that's how ideas work. Yeah. If you don't do that, that idea will go down, yeah. the, down the road. Totally. And that's what it was. And it was a, a sort of decision I made early on. I think with the rise of social media, just as I was leaving Network 10, it became, <clears throat> it was thrown in my face a lot. Like, how are you going to handle yourself when you're posting about yourself, when you've got this constant mirror potential little ego boost happening every single day when you post to Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And I just decided to go, this is the tool, this is the platform now, just work on it and just be yourself. And do not worry about what other people are thinking. And it was funny, I didn't have a target audience for so long and I think I always tell people, if you don't have one, just start and your target audience will find you. And that's what happened and it happened to be a lot of mums (laughs) that uh, you know, up until now, it's been a lot of months. Such a nice young man, Kelbrock. <laughs> why can't know. you be? Why can't you find a nice boy like Kelbrock? That's maybe I don't know. But let's talk about the notion of brand because it seems to be a new age phenomena that that people are more and more looking at their, themselves in terms of being a brand. Totally. So, what does that mean to you? I think the same principles have been around for hundred years, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to people, these people at all, but I look at people Jesus. like... Jesus. <laughs> Gandhi. <laughs> Steve Jobs. <laughs> I wouldn't put Steve Jobs in the same category, but anyway, sorry. Well, so let's use those people. They were all brands, really, if you look at it. If you look at the idea of what a brand is, it's probably something instantly recognisable and you can become a true fan of it. And that was the whole idea I sort of picked up from Tim Ferriss was that when you uh, develop these true fans, they will 
support you and be with you and purchase your products for the rest of your life, regardless of what product, what the products are, as long as they add value, of course, um, and tr to try and work on developing those true fans. And do, to do so in a way, you know, I don't look at my Facebook algorithms and go, how can I pick up new fans? I literally just go, what do I want to do? What do I feel is going to add the most value to people's lives? What do I want to see? Like making the gut movie was totally about me and me going, I want to make this film. Um, and the next movie will be like that as well. I want to see the film. I want to be in the film. It's totally about that. Uh, and you know, I have to be honest with myself on those things because I think acknowledging that elephant in the room that I am my own boss and I get to make these critical decisions, it could be very easy for me to choose things in a way that just drive ego, you know, and drive my own destruction in a way. So I have to be very conscious about where I'm going and, and think very visually, visually about how I'll be per perceived in, in a film, in a book. You know, I've just written a kid's book on gut health that we're, yeah, I haven't told you that. So we're doing, I've done a kid's story on, on gut health, Mandy's big gut adventure, I think it's going to be called. And, you know, I have to think about everything else that I'm doing and how that's going to impact my image writing that story, you know? So I think that's essentially what it is. I don't even know if I answered the question, but it's something you can instantly recognize and potentially relate with. Yeah. Well, what are some other things that you have to consider when, when thinking, okay, well, I'm going to be the brand and I'm, that means that you're instantly the face of yeah. the movement in a sense. Are there some things that you would, does it dictate how you edit your idea sharing, does it mean that you need to, you know, be, uh, what does it mean for those who don't think in those terms? Is it uh, how you present yourself in terms of what you wear on your social media feed or the environments in which you share information? Or, you know, what are some of the th considerations that you've had to make to determine your brand? So I guess if, <clears throat> A good example is the video marketing mastery course that I did. It was something that was sitting on my chest for ages. It was something that had liberated me from having to work nine till five, five days a week, a sort of lifestyle that I consider inherently unhealthy most of the time. Um, <clears throat> so I sort of, I logically in my mind, I was like, yeah, the two are linked. But branding wise, a decision I made was let's not go too intense with promoting this course. So let's not email everyone on my mailing list because they're here for gut health. You know, let's not post about it to social media too much because they're here for gut health, they're here for the brand. And they don't know the brand is video marketing mastery yet. So it's, you know, those sort of decisions and being soft in how I transition, never doing a really hard transition uh, and just being conscious with that. But in terms of what I wear, how I speak, I think all those things I just try and make as natural and authentic as possible because otherwise there's no point. It would be too hard to keep track of, oh, what's my branding decision now? What's it? I just have to be me and hope that that's the best. I love that you have been able to, you know, just inter the intersection of so many passions is what we see now in mm. terms of journalism, documentary filmmaking, gut health, you know, this is where you are right now. Yeah. When you think, I mean, you know, you've leveraged a skill set that has allowed you to not have to do the nine to five thing. And actually it's funny, you know, let's go back to that for a moment because the entire purpose of this podcast and this entire movement is because I agree with you. I don't think that the nine to five is conducive to 
good mental and physical well, uh, wellness. Why do you think that's the case? Because that's just something I've come to through first-hand experience. Yeah. But how did you get there? <laughs> so I was working, I got the dream job. I got the dream job working at Channel 10 and we would shoot uh, one to two to three days a week. We would go out and shoot. And those days I was happy as, I was so happy. And then the other uh, three days, two to three days, we would uh, be in the office. So those days I was miserable. So especially in, in winter, I would leave home in the dark on the scooter because tra- I didn't want to deal with traffic or whatever. So I'd arrive at the office and then come home and it would be dark again. So no sunlight throughout the day, uh, sitting under artificial lights all day, no airflow, all like air conditioning. And if you go and open a window, you get told off because you're messing with the thermostat or whatever. All these different things were just <clears throat> completely frustrating me in such a big way and I looked then at my dad's life I look at my mum's life I look at my brother's life still as a builder who's like on the phone all day and he's now he's working at home on the computer so he's hunched over and I just think this is not this system is wrong and a part, this is a part of the reason why we're so sick and why people are, are not healthy and not happy in a big way we materially financially everything has gone up over the past 50 years but our happiness levels have stayed right there about 30 percent of people consider themselves very happy that's not enough it's not enough and i think that this all came back to there was i was in bali and i was just finishing at channel 10 and i had taken a holiday and I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, which is a must-read. It had a huge impact on me, and it, was, it allowed me, it said to me that it was okay to think this way. That was basically, because I was going, what, what is wrong with me? Am I lazy? I hate working 9 to 5. I hate the fact that they're getting angry at me for rocking up 10 minutes late. <laughs> you know, it was stupid. So um, that book gave me permission, and that's when I started working on things and really shifting my mindset. And now it's basic. I think time is one of the most important assets that we have when it comes to our health, because... One of the biggest excuses that people use to not implement meditation, to not implement making healthy food, it's all to do with, I don't have enough time, I'm too rushed. And I totally get that, because when I'm really busy, I go down the same pathway. But I suppose my situation is is very fortunate now in that I can take the, the foot off and, and really step back a little bit. So living that lifestyle now, I see the tremendous advantages both physically, mentally, and spiritually that come from being in control and determining your own work hours, but also feeling really passionate and excited about what you do. If you're really, really passionate about accounting and you work nine to five, great, you know, that's fantastic. But if you do not like your job and yet you're going there five days a week for eight hours, to sit under artificial lights, to sit in that horrible air, <laughs> to, to be told what to do and be, I think, to just be thrown into the whole machine and just become another cog. Um, but that's a whole other sort of conversation. Uh, then I think it's an issue and I think we need to change it. And that's the internet has changed things in such a positive way, I think, enabling people like you and me to work a totally different uh, regime than normal. It's funny because so many of the... System. So many of the designs of the machine are, are almost, I don't know if they've been designed to be really counter to, and see, funnily enough, I don't think it's even about time. You know, when I, I can't be on holiday on a beach for, you know, more than two weeks yeah. without going, 
berserk. Yeah. I don't like having nothing to do. Mm. I if I'm if I'm on a beach more than two weeks, I'll ask if I can do some shifts <laughs> at the local bar. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I just don't yeah. want to have nothing to do. So yeah. I actually really enjoy. That's a great sign. Though, you know, yeah, it? eight yeah. to ten hours a day on something that I love. But yeah. when it comes to like intense creative energy, I can only really give four six hours worth of writing or yeah. editing. That's a good number. Without, yeah, <laughs> it's not too bad. Like yeah. I can focus for four hours. I can focus mm. easily, you know, on something that, and then I can just respond to emails and do the logistical side of what I need to do for the rest of the day. But if you want focused creative time, I could give you four to six. You yeah. know, generally pretty in a pretty much five days a week but what I don't agree with is all that other stuff it's the long commutes and yeah. bizarrely hot workspaces with halogen so lighting weird. and in, and just intense <clears throat> attitudes towards the, the, the structure of how yes. everyone's meant to sit in yeah. these sort of pens these sort of beige felted cubicles yeah. in order to pump stuff out that is you know we've all got to pay the piper and learn the processes and generally requires being part of a machine in order to do that before you do yeah. go rogue maybe the next generation <laughs> yeah. will find a yeah, way to, 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 to sidestep that process so i definitely recognize that everything that i'm doing in terms of my creative and work life has come from you know like working in house at foxtel and you know yeah. all these these jobs that i had that taught me a lot in terms of what i wanted and what i didn't want and also even in terms of having a team that i you know lead now uh how I how I want to you know midwife them through the process of what we need to do every day um, I think that's all been really important but in general I think there are so many parts of the machine that are wrong and yeah. and ultimately very counterproductive you know yes you're turning up and you're not 10 minutes late but once you're there you know how turned on are you and how yeah. effective are you yeah really I think the premise of what I sort of stand by on this issue is you have to live a life that's in alignment with your highest values and if you're not then it it's not going to be conducive to a long and happy life I 100% agree how do people because I have my theories on this but how do people find out what their highest values are for those who are thinking who are listening to us right now yeah. and saying well that's all well good of you to say Kale <laughs> you know <laughs> Your, your name implies <laughs> that you should be a, a, a gut nutrition. I didn't change my name, by the way. P.S. We should touch on that just for a split yeah. second. Your birth name is Kale Brock. Yes. I've got a video coming on it because <laughs> I have to address it. Like, that's how often it happens. Like, people troll my socials and being like, that's not his real name. It is. Okay. But we'll sort that out. So, how can people find in the highest... Well, I was taught um, to ask yourself some pretty big questions, and that is, what do you think about all the time? What would you do if money were no issue? Um, what do you daydream about or dream about at night? Those are the biggest questions. And for me, it was what kept coming up was surfing and acting, surfing and film. Um, so I decided to live a life in alignment with that. <laughs> and see, and the great thing that people can take away from what you've just pointed out is you haven't decided to be a professional surfer. No. You know that your life has to be aligned with surfing mm. but you don't necessarily need to do that for a career no. you just need to find a way to facilitate that through a lifestyle that allows you to drop everything and go <laughs> and how did that how does what does that look like for you that looks like living in the northern beaches mm. yeah having access to the surf yeah and then doing a job that allows you to be flexible with your hours yeah so that you can take the time out to you know what does an ideal work week look like for you now that you can design it yourself 
It's funny because I used to love the ad hoc, let's just go with it idea uh, until I realized that I had more work that I wanted to put out. And as soon as I introduced more projects and deadlines, that was when I had to actually find structure and anchor points throughout the day to actually keep me on track, but still allow that flexibility. So now I sort of get up early and try and do some stretching um, because I'm typically, I'm not naturally a flexible person. So I need to be for surfing really, excuse me. And um, so I get up and I do some stretching and then I'll do a little meditation or something. And then I'll get into work pretty much straight away. And I try and do the creative things first. Uh, I'll check the surf. If the surf's good, everything's off. I'm going surfing. <laughs> but it's funny now. I actually wait until um, if the surf's good, I'll wait until nine o'clock because then everyone else has gone to work. So it's so funny how the day is sort of centered around what the surf and the tide is doing, the winds and all these different things. But obviously, uh, being much busier now than I was last year and the year before, uh, I have to obviously have a little bit more structure and. Once I, now that I've got surfing in my life every day in such an easy way, back in Adelaide, it's very hard to be a busy surfer because you have to travel so much and it's not accessible. Whereas here, I can have a spare hour and go, yep, quick, let's go. Uh, so having it in my life on a constant basis has enabled me to go and really book in commitments and not worry if the surf's good. Like on my birthday when we filmed the neutral, I think the surf was pumping all day but it was okay for me to just watch it because you know I'm gonna surf the rest of the week, it doesn't matter. Whereas but previously I would never have been able to do that. So calmly, you know, I would have been stressed and freaking out watching the waves and- FOMO. Yeah, full FOMO. Whereas now it's quite easy. So that um, is generally the case, but even today the surf was pretty good, but I've got a web series that I'm writing and I smashed out five episodes of this web series and they're short, you know, four pages long. Is it, um, are they, is it a lifestyle <laughs> style series? No, Narrative? it's actually comedy. <gasps> yeah. Good on you. So I do a lot of comedy in the health space. That's great. Yeah. So we've got quite a few, we've got an ongoing, as part of the Broccoli Roast, which is my new show, um, we've got segments, so it's much more panel chit chat style and we've got segments that we throw to. And one of those segments is gonna be Humble Warrior, which is the ongoing pursuits of the modern healthy man. It's just a web series where, you know, I take the piss out of the health industry, basically, take the piss out of myself. So yeah, I was writing that and we'll shoot that over the next couple of weeks. So do you have the same attitude towards making things for yourself? You know, a web series is a great example because a web series is so collaborative, it doesn't, and it requires so much time compared mm. to other, uh, crafts. Mm. Do you have to be structured in how you design your day in order to be effectively producing a web series when it's not work? Yeah, okay, that's a really good question because it's hard. none of my projects really you look at and go, how much money am I going to earn from this? How much is this going to add to the business? Um, which makes it very difficult to prioritize and work out which to do first and how much time and effort to give things. But I've realized that if I allow myself to uh, be fueled creatively and from a place of excitement or love, as opposed to fear or um, obligation, that I'm much more creative, much more productive. And I think that's where I wanna be. And it's very easy to say, don't think about money. But now that we've, now that I've had some success with the book and the book's gone really well overseas and it's become a bestseller and stuff like that and the movie's doing really well, 
I've sort of allowed myself some freedom to actually sit back and not earn much money for a while and just work on things that I'm really excited to, to work on. But you know, webs, it's like a web series, but some of those things that come out, some of those things that I do that I never thought would earn money have been my biggest winners. What's, what's an example? So, you put me on the spot here, haven't you? <laughs> so even... Um, because I, the reason why I ask, yeah. and I'll, I'll give the context while you, if you think of something, yeah. is because people, uh, usually finance is a barrier for some people trying yeah, things, totally. and so they have to feel like we've been trained to believe that unless there's an immediate financial reward, then maybe yeah. it's not worth it. Yeah. And for other people, they think, well, I want to be able to do this thing that's a passion project, but how can I afford the time to do it when I need to pay for X, Y, Z. Then that's the whole idea of passive income, video marketing mastery. That's where all that came from to build that safety net before you take the jump. Because uh, that's, yeah, I think, and when I think about it, all my projects have been passion projects. Hmm. Everything. I don't think there's been one project that I've done, this is just for money. You know, and I know it might sound weird, and money's always going to be a factor in in the situation. But you know, writing a web series that, in the end, who knows? There have been web series that are picked up by HBO when they see them on Facebook or something like that. You know, or Screen Australia go, oh, let's give them funding, or SBS pick it up, or whatever. Um, but that's not why I do it at the same time. It's this creative expression. Often I'll not be ready, like with the book, Mandy's Gut Adventure or whatever. You're not going to make much money off a kid's book. And, well, maybe, who knows? But, um, you know, stranger <laughs> things have happened. That could be the thing that tips you over the edge. <laughs> yeah. So it was literally a moment someone drew a picture of me as a cartoon character and the, the switch, I just went, oh my God, kid's story. And I wrote half the story in about an hour. Just wrote like four pages, really in-depth um, pages of this story and then slowly chipped away at it for the next week and now it's done. Um, and it's not a huge story and it will be a picture book and things like that. But those moments, I cannot ever let financial logistics get in the way of those moments. I would never ever question, oh, well, is that going to make me much money? Because those moments, you know, when you're in flow and deep flow state, I think is essential for producing good, good work. And that's what I try and chase every day. What does that look like for you? Because I feel like I'm incredibly superstitious and there's like a ritual that I know I can mm -hmm. partake in that will give me my best results. Yeah. What does that look like for you? Is there, if you, if someone said to you, you know, the next week has to be the most productive of your year. What's the safe like? <laughs> and you're like, I'll get back to you. What do you need to be there in order for your best work to be done in terms of best flow? Yeah. Phones off, uh, or just in another room, or whatever. <clears throat> no Instagram on the phone. <laughs> so I delete it, <clears throat> excuse me, off my phone um, for a lot of the week, just because I know that if it's there and I'm bored or thinking about something, it's like the phone's there, up it comes, oh, I'm on Instagram. You that, know? <laughs> that's a simple but effective tip, which I've never thought of before. Yeah, just delete Just delete that app. Yeah. <laughs> delete that motherfucking app. It's totally, you know, we're so obsessed with it. And I, I'm, I'm pretty good. I think I've got the moment app and I'm normally between two and three hours a day on the phone. And that's someone who has an online business. So I think that's pretty good numbers. Uh, but when I delete Instagram, I'm probably 
half an hour less on the phone. So I think that's half an hour every day. Mm. You know, that's whatever that is. That's two working weeks a year over the entire year that I'm not on, on my phone. So I try and be a little bit um, strict and diligent with that. Waking up early seems to have a really big impact on me and going surfing is huge for helping me get into flow because mm. essentially flow, um, surfing induces flow. And then when I get back, it's like, I'm much more relaxed and you know limber and then those ideas hit. Now, I don't surf and I know that other people will be saying, well, what, how do I use that because I don't yeah. surf? So I would imagine that people can find their equivalent of what surfing yeah. does for you, for them. So for me, the equivalent might be actually probably be yoga yep. or gym. And I think they're both situations in which I, yoga because I'm actively choosing to not let my mind wander mm. and I'm just trying to be really present with where I'm at and just literally go with the flow of what is happening. And gym is another one where I will, uh, not so much with podcasts because my, I'll, I'll think about the podcast if I listen to it, but if I listen to music, um, some, somewhere between my body being engaged with the act of lifting weights, my mind being distracted by, mm. by Britney, Madonna, Katy Perry, <laughs> they're... Um, I, I allow myself the space to then have really great ideas. Yeah. So I think there's something about, yeah, I almost dupe myself into a situation where I'm not of my monkey mind yeah. uh, because I'm so distracted. So you're talking about flow state essentially. Yeah. And flow state is when the prefrontal cortex shuts off. So that's your monkey mind. That's your sense of self. That's your tasks to do, things to do, blah, 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 blah. That shuts off and different parts of the brain are liberated. Um, and, you know, stress, any form of stress like cortisol will actually shut down flow in, in a big way. Um, or when you're relaxed, you're actually much more, it's much more conducive of, of flow state. And basically it's that extreme present state awareness. So you're totally in the moment in what's going on, uh, whether it's meditative flow or movement flow. And that's why extreme sports have progressed so fast is because they require so much flow. And that's when they reckon that we can problem solve the best. We can make creative decisions the best when we're in flow. Um, so trying to encourage that state through things like yoga, for instance, through things like painting, through things like even walking, you can enter flow, um, especially if you're just out in nature or running, runners always enter flow, you know? So there's all these different activities uh, that we can participate in, which encourage that creative mindset that's called flow. And that's actually the next documentary that I'm doing is on is on flow state. So. Great. Yeah. I didn't even realize that but that was, that's the sports based documentary <laughs> you're doing. That's the sports one, yeah. Well, that leads me to a question I'd love to, to end with, which is if I check in with you in a year's time, what's a project that you would like to have yeah. either nailed or be on its way to completion? Mm. Would that be it for you? Yeah, definitely the flow state. I've probably <clears throat> got quite a few things on, which works well for me. I don't like being 100% one project because I tend to burn out and get sick of it. Um, so I'm trying to allocate days of the week to different things, but I've got the kids book, which is largely done. I've got another gut health book coming and that'll be sort of it for gut health. Um, <clears throat> and then we've got the flow movie and then I've got two narrative films that I'm working on slowly over time. But I think the flow film, I hope is finished and touring by within a year. And the narrative ones, I'm receiving a few million dollars from Screen Australia. <laughs> But we'll see. We'll see on those. <clears throat> what I do, I, just just before we end, I'd love to. Uh, you know, so many 
ideas of projects that you have named, of things that you have done or are doing or will be doing, are things that people would think, oh, I could live my whole life and I could do one of those things. Yeah, I still think that. So who, who do you think you are to do so many things that would define dream job to some people? And I say that, you know, mockingly, yeah. in that what mindset do you have to be in in order to not talk yourself out of being yeah. so active with contributing to the world in such a great way. The, 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 uh, the idea of not doing it is way scarier than the idea of doing it. And at some point you have to take on um, <clears throat> something that you are not comfortable with, you know. And I've had the, the visions and the, the ideas of these things sitting with me for a long time and it, I take a while to let them simmer and work out if they're really <clears throat> excuse me in alignment with who I am and, and what I want to do and when they sit they stick and they're never going to go away you know I've, I cannot not do these things in, in some form um, so that's basically it it's, it's the idea of not doing them in scary but I'll always feel I think I'll always feel I think every every person does at some point feel um like an imposter. I feel like some once one day someone will rip back the curtains and they'll be like, oh, he's he's just boring and like this loser surfer kid or whatever. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's the way I want to contribute to the world and that's what I'll stick to, regardless of how many people say you can't do it. But it's funny when you share your dreams, how few people say you can't do it. A lot of people say, oh, that's, uh, that's pretty big and scary. But um, very few people say, no, you can't do that. Well, generally people really want you to. Yeah, I because think so. they, Because actually, and that's one thing that I totally agree with that I've never thought of before, is that I have sometimes shared, often shared ideas for things I'm working on, sometimes to my own detriment because I get so much kudos from talking about the thing, I don't go and do the thing. So <laughs> yeah. it's good to know when to hold them and when to fold yep. them in terms of yep. the sharing of ideas. But in general, they're always met with such enthusiasm that when I don't follow through, I feel like I'm letting the team down. Yes. Yep. And people, because people champion doers and makers and occasionally you'll meet some <laughs> toxic trolls and associates <laughs> who your success is a reminder of their lack of or yeah. something yeah but at the end of the day you know what are you gonna do no you've got to just be excited about what you're doing and, and love what you're doing and love the direction you're heading in and that's the i the very idea sometimes i go to bed and i'm my whole body gets full of tingles because i think about these ideas you know, and that's a sign that I have to do them. There's no, I cannot live with these tingles for the rest of my life. When I think about the films that I want to make and the way they're going to look and the sound that's going to run underneath them and the whole process of cultivating a film, a story, I just, my whole being lights up and there's no way I cannot do it. So that's what drives me. It's, it's honestly, that's the only reason that I can fake it until I've made it. <laughs> You've spoken about a couple of ways in which uh, people could check in with themselves to make sure that they're in alignment or doing something that is, you know, you know, that is in, on path, on path with, yes. their, with their values and what they care about. For anyone who's listening to this, just to leave us, is there, is, who feels very detached from mm. that idea about, about their values, about what their path is, because sometimes beginning that journey is so hard mm. and contrary wise once you'd start that journey it's so easy because it almost becomes like a snowball it really you know it just can it just feeds itself after a while 
What's a first step for someone who feels like they are really starting from the beginning in terms of working out that for themselves? It's taking time, just allowing the time for that to occur because to check in and really be in touch with who you are deep down is not a skill, but it's something I think a lot of us have suppressed for a long time. Some people, especially when I used to work with uh, mums, health coaching and things like that, some mums felt disappointed or underwhelmed that their their highest value was family and keeping their family together and looking after the family. But that's not a bad thing. You know, just because I'm a young, ambitious filmmaker doesn't mean you, the same goals have to be applicable across every single person. Some of the longest-lived cultures in the world have family up at their highest value, and I'm, I'm the same, you know. It's just these are my sort of career goals, and they're taking priority right now. Um, so really just being okay with whatever comes up for you and allowing things to shift. If you spoke to me 10 years ago, it was like I want to be a surfer and writer and go travel the world and live out of a suitcase and things like that. Um, that's not me anymore. So I feel like so much benefit comes from relaxing into yourself. And it's been really hard for me to verbalize this idea that I'm sort of trying to come up with and the underlying theme of my life, which I think has been so beneficial. And that's being able to be objective and sit back from myself and almost watch the story play out in a very objective, calm and loving way and go, you know, look at myself in the mirror and go, who are you? Like, what are you interested in doing? Um, what lights you up? What excites you? That's a really good basic questions to ask. And if what excites you the most is going to watch the kids play football on the weekend, then do that. That's totally fine. That's, one of the, that's amazing if you can go and do that and be happy for the rest of your life. And do that so much that within that space, you genius occurs. Exactly. You, know, you find a way to turbocharge that yep. act of love mm. through being the very best version of that that yes. you can be. Yes. Mm. Mm. Kale, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Wow. Yeah, what a joy.